The Truth News Network. When you hear the White House spokesperson and you think, can we all go back to circle back, girl, now? You're looking at a problem. When a candidate for Supreme Court is asked, what is a woman? And the answer is, I don't know, I'm not a biologist. When she's in that chair answering that question precisely because she is a woman? How do you sort out that insanity? With the razor of truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And your coach for today is Dan Newman. Honestly, if you try to figure all that stuff out, you'll go bat crazy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. Thursday morning, it's mid-September. Can you believe it already? The Ides of September, September 15th, half the month is gone. And we're looking right down the barrel of fall. fall. That's a season that in my state, we very seldom ever experience. We typically go right from summer into a very short winter and then from a very short winter into another summer. Louisiana's that way. Hopefully we're going to have some seasonal weather. I would love if it'd cool off in the fall and we'd get crisp fireplace weather. That's what you're supposed to be in when football starts. And we've already started college, high school. And, of course, now the NFL and football. And then we have soccer going on. Is it different from you wherever you are than it is for me here? We have uh, six grandkids. All of them are athletes. Every one of them, all six of them. And four boys, two girls. The twin girls are both soccer players, both really good high school soccer players. Six grandsons, the top three in age, football players. And the youngest is too, although he is, he's just in the eighth grade. So he's trying to figure out what he's going to be when he grows up. Kind of like Poppy, me. I'm 69. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to be when I grow up. Nevertheless, I love the seasons. I love outdoor sports. I love soccer. And I love football. And fall is when those sports are supposed to shine. And typically, weather somehow messes it all up. When it's supposed to be dry, it rains. When it's supposed to rain, it's dry. And there's nothing worse than sitting out in the humidity of Louisiana when it's about 35 degrees. And the humidity makes it feel like it's about 10 degrees. And the wind is blowing. And you're sitting in the stands for a soccer match or a football game. Honestly, that's part of the joy of living in the South. And I I, I grew up in the South. I've lived here, I've spent a lot of time in the Midwest, also on the West Coast, uh, the East Coast, love Florida, basically I love the southern half of the United States. I think we're blessed that we have such diversity of climate, we have diversity of landscape, you can get mountains, you can get the desert just like they have in Northern Africa, you can go to Death Valley, I've been there on a Harley, I've been there when it was... What was the temperature? 125 degrees, 130 degrees when I was there. It was unbearable. Of course, there was no humidity. But nevertheless, it's like sticking your head in an oven when you're baking something. We have diversity. You've got the big oaks, the big trees out in California, northern California. Then you have the beaches of Florida along the northwest coast of Florida, the east coast, southern California. Pretty much anything you want in the way of landscape, the way of climate, 
You can find it in the United States of America. You know what we ought to do? Instead of pointing at all these bad things, pointing fingers and blaming people for things, just for a short while, why don't we just pause and be thankful for what we have, where we live, the country in which we live. And yeah, it's broken in many areas, but we're Americans and we always figure out how to fix things and make things better. We'll get it handled. We're the people going to get the political stuff handled. And I think we're going to begin it in November. I believe the people, that sleeping giant, we're just a small segment of the actual population, 330 million of us, a small segment determine the political landscape of our country. And I think that other segment, not the one that does it every election, but the ones that have just looked on, I think they're awakening. And I believe they are going to engage in large part in the election process coming up in November. And if they do, if the sleeping giant awakens and does what I think that sleeping giant will do in mass, we're going to see some great changes back towards the founding father's vision for this nation, governed by the people, governed of the people, governed for the people. I think we're going to get back there, but only if we the people will stand up and say, look, enough's enough. We got to right this ship. We got to get going down the road towards success. We got to stop this political bickering and name calling. You're going to hear something that just blows my mind regarding 9-11 and comparing it to January 6th. Tulsi Gabbard, she's a military person, served in the military, a congresswoman from Hawaii, why don't we do this? Why don't we listen to Tulsi Gabbard on with Jesse Waters last night on Fox, and they're talking about the conversations by people on the left, and they get into comparisons looking back at uh, the 21st anniversary of 9-11. Let's turn to Tulsi Gabbard, former presidential candidate and Hawaii congresswoman. All right, Tulsi, I, I did not see this coming on the anniversary of 9-11. Can you believe that they just casually just sprinkle in January 6th and say that Trump voters are worse than Al-Qaeda? Where do we end up at this point from here? Jesse, it, 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 I feel sick right now. Seeing you play these different clips, you know, I, like so many of my fellow service members, I enlisted because of those jihadist attacks on 9-11 to support and defend our Constitution, to protect our fellow Americans and to go after and kill those who attacked us on that day. And it is despicable and outrageous to hear these people to hear these people uh, say the things that they're saying, comparing our fellow Americans to terrorists, actually worse. They literally said they are worse than Al-Qaeda terrorists. Um, this just shows how far they are willing to go 
pushing our country to the brink of civil war, demonizing, targeting our fellow Americans as worse than al-Qaeda terrorists, all to hold on to their power. That's all they care about. Whether you're talking about the Biden administration, these talking heads on TV, U.S. senators, the Department of Homeland Security, the people who are some of the most powerful people in our country, who have the strings of the national security apparatus at their fingertips, targeting our fellow Americans, just because they didn't vote for Joe Biden, all because they need they want to hold on to power. This this is outrageous and should be concerning to every single American. And we got to see right through what they're doing. The timing of this is not an accident. We are just weeks away from the midterm elections. They are concerned that they will lose the seats that they have. And so they're, again, not caring about the consequences and the destruction to the country and the heart of the American people willing to foment this fear to say, hey, don't you dare vote for these Republicans because they voted for Trump and they are traitors and they are a greater threat to our country than al-Qaeda jihadists. So Tulsi, if your father died at the World Trade Center on 9-11 and you were inspired to enlist and serve in the U.S. military and you went overseas and you killed a lot of bad guys and kept this country safe, and if you come back to this country and you think the FBI helped Joe Biden get elected, the Democrats are saying you're worse than the al-Qaeda terrorists that you went overseas and defended our country from. Is there any way they can pull yeah. back from this? I, I don't see how they can. This, this is miles past barely tipping across the line. You know, there, there is one thing, Jesse, I want to tell you. I do agree with them on. There is a domestic threat to our democracy, and it is a very serious one, but it is not in the hands of a few powerless Americans who are pissed off and frustrated that our government is failing us. It is the threat coming from some of the most powerful people in our government, some of the people that I've talked about in the Biden administration, the national security state apparatus that's being weaponized against our fellow Americans again because they voted against the president or because they disagree with his policies, willing to sacrifice our country and our constitution, our democracy, so they can hold on to power. We need to be clear eyed about this and not allow it to happen. We can't fall for it. I just think as the former congresswoman stated there along with Jesse Waters, I think it's unconscionable that anybody would look at just somebody exercising their free right to vote for whoever they wanted to vote for that's running. And the people that are running, they're put in the place to run for office by like-minded political people, Americans who have the right to determine who they want to govern them. And they're calling people that pulled the trigger, and I shouldn't even say it that way, but decided to vote for Donald Trump. And you get labeled, you get branded all of a sudden. You're a worse person just because you voted for Donald Trump than were those people from the Middle East, those terrorists that knocked down those two towers and killed 3,000 fellow Americans. You're worse just because you voted for Donald Trump. Can you believe we're living in a nation that has devolved into that being such a critical idea in the ramping up toward the midterm elections? Hatred, not anger, not divisiveness. Hatred 
for somebody who did not vote like-minded, that they dared to branch out on their own and make a choice, a political choice, of who they wanted to govern them just because it's different from you? That makes them worse than a terrorist? This is unbelievable that we're in that environment. And we keep saying that again and again and again. And we give example. We let you hear from people's own mouths where they are in all this. The sad thing is people that say these things, they actually believe them. That's scary in itself. And even scarier is the realization that these kinds of thoughts and these kinds of thought processes didn't just happen. They evolved over a long time. President after president, looking back at Bill Clinton, following Clinton, his eight years, you had W. W. Bush had his eight years. Obama and Joe had their eight years. And now we're a year and a half into Joe Biden as president. Do you think things are better today, top to bottom in this nation? And I'm rolling in the angst that we just heard from Tulsi Gabbard and Jesse Waters about people hating people that did not vote for Joe Biden, but chose to vote for Donald Trump. And we've come to that. I'm not even asking, have we come to that? Has it come to this? We're there, folks. And we've been there for a while, and many of us just didn't want to accept it. Most of us didn't even see it. But many of those people that did see it just don't want to accept it. Again, I'll say it. It's unconscionable to believe that there are that many people in this nation that feel that way. But they do. And they would just assume, just like that blazoned A on women's heads if they were caught in adultery. They want that M branded on the heads of every person that voted for Donald Trump and for them to be persecuted by everybody around them. It's not that they disagree with you. That's just the beginning. It evolves very quickly into they want you gone, obliterated. They want you off the planet. You're evil. You're worse than a terrorist, and they want to treat you that way. Honestly, I've heard people actually say that Gitmo is too good for MAGA people. Gitmo, a prison in Cuba. Oh my gosh. Well, here we are. Every day we're here trying to put the pieces back together and find some commonality to get some reasonable thought processes happening in our government. And when you look at the backdrop of the Biden administration, it's hard to even see anything good. A starting point where we could rebuild the nation and get back to what it was just two years ago. It was so much better two years ago, and we were in the middle of a COVID-19 pandemic. Things were better then before Joe Biden started destroying our government, its structure, and turning us into not a socialist nation, but a totalitarian society. Big government at the top. Hey, you can call it authoritarian. You can call it heavy socialism. You can call it communism, whatever you want to call it. But it's top-down politically. The government 
They want to control everything, every part of your life. They want to tell you what you can do, where you can live, where you can work. And of course, the flip side of those are true too. They want to tell you where you can't live, where you can't work. They want to control every moment of your life. And they're using money. They're using the ability to have things that you may not be able to have now. And you turn to Big Brother, the government. And you're going to get it from the government. That's what they want us to live in. And we got here very quickly when the shoe fell. When the shoe dropped the last one, 18 months later, we went from where we were, energy independent, no inflation, employment out the wazoo, women, African-American people, more working than ever before. Everybody's 401ks and simple IRAs were just exploding We, for the first time in eight years, were really looked at like we are as a nation. We are a nation to deal with on the world stage in every area. Why? Because our leaders weren't just talking about stuff. They were doing things. They didn't just talk about helping people out around the world. They helped them out. We were living in an era, once again, where the nation... The greatest nation on the planet was just simply being what it had been from the establishment of it 260 years previously in 18 months. Joe Biden and those that are pulling his strings have destroyed almost everything they could possibly destroy. And they're doing it with impunity. They're loading our great, 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 great grandchildren with a massive amount of debt that they'll never be able to repay, all in the name of political correctness, which, by the way, these authoritarians are the sole arbiters of what's okay and what we must do. They control it all. They control science. You can no longer argue with them about anything that has anything to do with medicine or energy or climate. You can't. If you dare disagree, you're immediately branded with the big M on your forehead, even if you didn't vote for Donald Trump. You're a MAGA person, and you're worse than a terrorist. So where are we going from here today? We have a lot to talk about. A lot more than uh, the Queen having her funeral next Monday morning when you're asleep. I think it's at 11 a.m. their time Monday, so it would be about... 4 a.m. your time, our time. There's a lot more in the world, and I don't want to diminish the queen. She was quite a player on the world stage for 70 years. Longest serving monarch of any civilized country ever. 70 years she was queen. Boy, she made a she made a mark on the political blogosphere. She was involved in a lot of really good stuff. She made some great choices. She was very honest, almost to a fault. A lot of people didn't like that. They didn't think she fit the mold, that they want world leaders to all fit into, which is abandon the truth and deal only with what's right for the political purposes that you are espousing. And, of course, that would be socialism. The U.K. is a socialist entity. 
only in a few areas are they totally that way, healthcare being one of them, and we could sit here and have a conversation that would last two hours about that. All that being said, the Queen's gone. She's being honored, rightfully so. But in the middle of all of that, folks, life goes on for we Americans. We still have a poor southern border. We still have hundreds of thousands of people getting their hands. Most of them are youngsters that are getting their hands on illegal drugs that this administration is making zero efforts to stop from coming in. Everybody knows fentanyl and everything else is coming across our southern border in droves. Nobody at the southern border in law enforcement is authorized to even go after that. The only way they do is if people come across carrying those and they get caught. That's the only ones that count. The thousands of pounds of other types of uh, hardcore illegal drugs as well as fentanyl, when those are caught, people carrying them are caught, that's the only ones that make the news. The gotaways, we have no idea how many of those happen. And when we do get any calibration through drones that we can definitely pinpoint how many people were in that particular group of gotaways, we have no idea what they were bringing with them or who they were bringing with them. Steve Baker, our regular Tuesday segment guy, investigative reporter from North Carolina, deep, deep, deep into... Uh, the January 6th stuff, he's involved personally. He's also involved materially in one of the trials that's going on up there. Steve Baker today is in Houston, part of a wide human smuggling investigation that involves children. Hundreds and thousands of children are being trafficked across our southern border with all the drugs. Nobody wants to talk about the kids that are being brought in, the ones that are purposely being trafficked into the United States, and the cartels in Mexico are turning it into dialing for dollars. A billion dollars a month is estimated the profits collectively for the cartels, for their drug stuff, for their trafficking, and also for charging these illegals that are coming through Central America, up through Mexico, and into the United States, promised a better life, a new life, great places to make money, health care, all the good things that the United States has, always has had. God blessed this nation long ago. I'm a person that believes in God, and I pray every day that God doesn't turn his back on the U.S. for what our leaders are doing. And what our leaders are doing starts off with being illegal very immoral, and they're doing it purposefully. That makes it worse. Premeditated is far worse than just making an accidental decision. And they know what they're doing. Who's running our government? (laughs) Nobody knows that. One thing is certain, though, the President of the United States is not running our government. He did make one positive or maybe semi-positive move yesterday. He said yesterday late that he struck a tentative deal between U.S. freight rail companies and unions that is going to avert a devastating strike that was supposed to begin tomorrow night. This agreement was hashed out as a national rail strike loomed at midnight tomorrow 
and it's going to raise employees' salaries 24%. That's huge. 24%. And uh, that's for a, a, a time period. Hang on just a second here. I want to make sure I give you accurate numbers and don't just guess. From 20 to 2024, 2020, 2024, 24% raise with workers getting an average lump sum payment of eleven grand, $11,000 for the backdated portion of the raise. Biden called a deal, of course, a win for tens of thousands of rail workers who worked tirelessly through the pandemic to ensure that America's families and communities got deliveries of what have kept us going during these difficult years. Of course, you and I know the reality is anybody that was allowed to work during the pandemic were blessed because they were getting paid while millions of others weren't. So these negotiations are between all of the rail companies collectively and a bunch of unions collectively came down to the wire. Biden's Labor Secretary Martin Walsh stepped in to help broker that agreement. It must now be voted on by union members, but even if they reject it, a rail shutdown has been averted for several weeks, which is a huge deal. Do you think our supply chain issues were bad during the pandemic? If these rail workers went on strike, it would be across the board. There would be no rail service anywhere in the United States until whatever agreement was reached that had to be reached to go back to work. I mean, we're talking about everything, everything you buy, everything you need. If you're in the service industry, all of your supplies, materials, if you're in the retail business, everything you sell, you wouldn't be able to get any of it. They know this. Biden knew that. I don't really think that he negotiated anything. A 24% raise and it's backdated all the way back to 2020. What a home run did the unions hit? And our president just basically caved. There was no negotiations. He pretty much just walked in and said, what do you want? They said, here's what we want. Bam, you got it. Now remember this, railroads are not government entities. Railroads are private entities. Yeah, they're corporations and owned corporately, but they are not owned by the federal government. Joe Biden doesn't have, didn't have, doesn't have unilateral authority to negotiate any deal like this other than in an emergency situation a president can step in if an emergency is declared and do something like this. This is just another example of the authoritarian rule that is actually happening today in our White House. Joe Biden's governing the nation without Congress, period. If he wants to spend money, he goes ahead, puts it out there, and he dares Congress to do anything about it, which they could, but they won't. Why? Because they're all Democrats. So we got a temporary reprieve from a rail strike. That's a good thing, and I'm glad we did. Now, we've been going back and forth, listening to people like our Vice President Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, the White House Press Secretary. Everybody is parroting this phrase, 
Our southern border is secure. How many times have you heard that coming from somebody's mouth on a TV interview or from the White House podium in the press office every day? Let me ask you this. Do you know any Americans that believe that? Do you know anybody that believes our southern border is secure and that this administration has done a good job at keeping illegals from coming into the nation illegally? Heck no. I don't know a single person that believes that. Why do they keep parroting that? I think you know. It's all about votes. It's all about having people here that they bring them in here as being dependent on the federal government for sustenance, for housing, for education, for food and clothing, everything they need, health care. They rely on our federal government. They want more of those. They would love to have millions more that are dependent on them for everything. Why is that? Those people would be so dependent, they would be obligated to support every Democrat that ran for any office, local, state, or federal, and would do anything anybody that is a Democrat told them they should do. They would forever feel obligated. This would make a permanent one-party United States politically. There would never be a conservative party. There would be no need for one. Because the majority had been bought and paid for by you and me, the American taxpayer, while they were setting up this permanent Democrat party that would never lose political power. Now, they don't want to call it and refuse to call what's going on down there a border crisis, a southern border crisis. But guess what? In history, on Monday's broadcast of Newsmax TV's Rob Schmidt tonight, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, he was reacting to what Vice President Kamala Harris said over the weekend that the border is secure, and he did it by pointing out that way back in June of 2014, when Barack Obama was still president, Joe was vice president, Obama said this, there was a humanitarian crisis on the border when there were about 2,000 apprehensions every day on the southwest border. Now compare that to what we're facing today. Six to 7,000 encounters every day over the past two months. Senator said the government in the southwestern states there are dealing with about 7,000 people a day that they're encountering, and because of the Biden administration's open border policy, processing and dispersing them all around this country. And he added, well, the vice president, the president, and Secretary Mayorkas are as detached from reality as they are from the truth. The fact is that this is a crisis Again, 7,000 people. Obama declared it a crisis, a humanitarian crisis, when it was just 2,000 people a day. But what they consider a success is simply processing and dispersing these illegals within eight hours. They just got very efficient at processing and dispersing to all points in the nation. And it's all okay. Forget about the rule of law thing. Forget about those federal immigration laws that even Joe Biden 
was involved in crafting and voting for during his years in the U.S. Senate. Forget about all of that. Forget about the Constitution. Joe Biden gets up, he points his fingers at GOP Republicans of every ilk, even Rhino, which are Republican in name only, all the way to the MAGA terrorist is what they want to call MAGA, Donald Trump supporters. You put all of that in a barrel, folks. When it all rolls out, the Constitution is the Constitution. And if you don't, if you're in public office, you swore an oath to protect and defend, to honor it, to make sure the rule of law is adhered to. None of that is happening from the top of this administration all the way down to the bottom. And remember, regarding illegal immigration, Obama said we had a humanitarian crisis when we were seeing about 2,000 illegals cross in every day. And now on a good day, it's 6,000. On a typical day, 7,000. My. What do, they, what do they say? The old adage, I repeat it all the time, Sarah Palin, that genius from Alaska said it first. You can put lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig. You can't change the fact that it's a pig. Illegal is illegal. Illegal is criminal. And coming across the southern border without being invited formally with documentation that confirms that, that is a criminal act with criminal penalties. This administration... This executive officer, this CEO of the United States of America, refused to enforce. That is an impeachable offense. Joe Biden should be impeached for that and a, a myriad of other things. But all he would need to be impeached for would be that one thing because every day he's opening the door, waving in, as we said, between six and 7,000 illegals. That, my friends, is supporting, suborning lawlessness. It's got to be prosecuted. It's got to be. So what's happening on the southern border, even in other states in the south that aren't on the southern border, is these governors are realizing that what Texas Governor Greg Abbott was doing, sending these busloads of migrants up to the Northeast, to Washington, D.C., New York City, even to the Midwest, to Chicago. It's getting the attention of people in these big cities, especially the mayors. Yesterday, two migrant buses from Del Rio, Texas, way down Southwest Texas, arrived right close to Vice President Kamala Harris's residence at the Naval Observatory in Washington. Between 75 and 100 people who were picked up in Eagle Pass, Texas, were sent by Governor Greg Abbott. The group includes migrants from places like Venezuela, Uruguay, Colombia, Mexico. Multiple migrants asked, said they think the border is wide open, contrary to what Harris said Sunday during that interview. This latest convoy of buses arrived just hours after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis followed through on his similar promise to drop off illegals in progressive states. He sent two planes full of migrants 
to Martha's Vineyard on Wednesday. Now, Martha's Vineyard, what kind of clicks in your mind about Martha's Vineyard? Obviously, it's an exclusive place up in Massachusetts. That's where Barack Obama has his $16 million house on the water. Maybe some of these illegals will go by to tell them hello. A representative from a non-governmental organization, an NGO, called Sanctuary DMV showed up, told the migrants they would be going to a local church. Marla Bastios of Sanctuary DMV said they were at Union Station since 6 in the morning waiting and just heard 20 minutes ago the drop-off was this one. We've already set up a church in a location, a safe location for them to tell us where they need to go next, where they have relatives. So this ongoing relocation of incoming illegal border crossers has become a popular method of protest for these southern states that have been overrun with migrants that are feeling ignored by President Biden's administration. They're just not feeling ignored. They're being ignored purposely. I was surprised to see the press here before we could get there. So the press knew the location before we did. Some of the volunteers, it's very frustrating. That's Bastios. We're going to make it happen, but it takes a lot of resources and a lot of effort. Abbott has sent dozens of buses filled with border crossers to Washington, D.C., New York City, and Chicago in recent weeks. The governor argues that border towns in Texas are overwhelmed. And those in power in D.C. and New York should face the realities that these border states are facing every day. And they're facing it because of Washington, D.C.'s inactivity and Washington, D.C. not enforcing the rule of law. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser declared a public emergency last week. Why? The buses of migrants continued to come into her city from Texas and Arizona. So, the mayor's emergency declaration will set aside funding to accommodate migrants as well as create the Office of Migrant Services. The OMS, this office, will be tasked with providing temporary accommodations, urgent medical needs, transportation, and other services for migrants. Brianne Nado a member of the Council of the District of Columbia, blamed the governors of Texas and Arizona for their city's public migrant emergency. Speaking in a situational update on migrant support alongside the mayor, she said Thursday that the city systems were not set up to serve the migrants who continue to arrive in the city from the southern states, kind of like the southern states weren't set up to process those. The southern states were set up to turn back through the Customs and Border Patrol agents that are federal employees and have for generations done just that, turned these illegals back if they want to file for permanent residency or get a green card or anything like that, asylum claim. There's a process to do it, but the process legally does not mean people coming in just get a green light You fill out this form, you want to go to court and let a judge hear your asylum claim, and it won't happen for two years. That shouldn't mean that you just get to roam the United States of America taxpayer expense for two years till your plea is heard. 
more than 90% of those asylum claims are adjudicated that they don't qualify. And because most of these, a huge majority of these migrants, when they go across the country, they assimilate into the population, even though they're illegal, and they never, never go back to here what the judge has to say in those asylum hearings. So it's been said, but it's worth reiterating, the governors of Texas and Arizona have created this crisis, and the federal government has not stepped up to assist the District of Columbia. So we, along with our regional partners, will do what we've always done. We'll rise to the occasion. Governor Abbott of Texas argues border towns in Texas are overwhelmed, have been for years, and those in power in the liberal-run city should face the same realities of the border crisis as do the southern states and these border cities. D.C. Mayor Bowser has twice now requested the National Guard be activated to assist her with thousands of migrants arriving in the nation's capital. Both requests, by the way, have been denied by the Pentagon. That really surprises me. After all, Muriel Bowser, she's a big Biden supporter. She's an activist Democrat, and she's African-American, Black Lives Matter supporter. She is plugged in to the authoritarian core government that is running your life and mine. And she got told no twice. Joe Biden tells Muriel Bowser, an African-American woman, a mayor of one of the biggest cities, most important cities in the nation, told no twice. Oh my gosh. If Joe Biden was a Republican and that happened, what would be the obvious answer? Oh, he's a racist. He's a racist. He didn't do what I wanted to do. I'm African American. He's white. So that means just because he didn't want to do it, it's because I'm black. And that makes him a racist. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800-plus cities. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey, Ed Itchy in Idaho. Yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. 
The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN. The Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org, and Dan Newman. I just wonder, did your mama warn you about a um, a big bald guy with a beard and an earring wearing glasses that would be doing a conservative talk show and would be talking about evil things, you know, like the facts, the truth? <laughs> I doubt if your mom warned you about that, but your mom told you to be smart, be wary, and vet anybody and everything that you hear to make sure that whatever choices you make, things that you do, you're doing them based upon facts. Now, there's something very, very important that has come to life. And uh, we, we have a story on our homepage today that talks about it in detail title is why did life expectancy for u.s citizens drop dramatically last year that's a question everybody needs to ask and let me just tell you life expectancy in the united states did drop dramatically last year so what has caused that drop in life expectancy according to the new york times and we're not going to get into the deep stuff in the story. I'm going to let you read it later. But according to the Times, Native Americans and Alaska Natives have the highest rate of diabetes out of any ethnic group. One in seven. And obesity is also very common. Both of these conditions have been identified as comorbidities that make you more susceptible to serious COVID-19 infection, which could help explain why life expectancy among Native Americans and Alaska Natives dropped by four years in one year, 2020. They don't necessarily explain the continued drop in life expectancy in 2021, last year. According to Minnesota Chippewa Tribe members Dr. Ann Bullock, former director of diabetes treatment and prevention at the Federal Indian Health Services Agency, the COVID jab campaign was very successful among Native Americans and Alaska Natives, which made that continued drop during 2021 all the more upsetting. Bullock told the New York Times, quote, the Native American population did quite well in the vaccination efforts. That made us feel that 2021 would not be as devastating as 2020. Aside from COVID, causes of death listed as contributors to this loss of life expectancy include things like accidental deaths, drug overdoses, heart disease, chronic liver disease, and cirrhosis. As you might expect, the idea that the COVID shots might have something to do with it is completely dismissed, even though it's the proverbial elephant in the room. The increase in accidental deaths, that seems 
particularly odd considering the many lockdowns that we all had, but it's possible the COVID jabs might have something to do with it as well. According to the U.S. National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, lethal traffic accidents have steadily risen between 2021 and 2022, reaching a 20-year high in the first quarter of this year. Some have started referring to these accidents as vaccidents, caused when jabbed individuals suddenly experience a stroke, a heart attack, or temporary blackout while driving. It can't be proven that side effects from the jab are causing these accidents, but it's still something worth thinking about. The jabs are also known to cause mental fog, disorientation, and confusion, which could contribute to any number of accidents on and off the road. And then there's this new one that we've talked about here pretty extensively the last 90 days, Sudden Death Syndrome, SDS. That may be driving down life expectancy. Excess mortality, which is a statistic that is related to, but separate from life expectancy, certainly plays a role. Excess mortality refers to the difference between the observed numbers of deaths from all causes during a given time period compared to the expected number of deaths based on historical norms like the previous five-year average. And there's a formula for it. Reported deaths minus expected deaths equals excess deaths. Around the world, excess mortality has dramatically risen since the start of our pandemic. Barely a day now goes by without a healthy adult suddenly dropping dead with no apparent cause. People have died during live broadcast, in the middle of speeches, during dinner. Clearly, they were feeling well enough to go to work, to an event, or to a restaurant, and something caused them to instantaneously die with no warning. These are the people making up these excess death statistics. They shouldn't be dead, yet something took them out. While COVID-positive deaths were part of the equation two years ago in 2020, excess deaths really took off after the rollout of the COVID jabs, and in 2021 far exceeded deaths labeled as COVID deaths. In the story that we published today, there's a video right in the middle of it. In that video, John Campbell, who is a retired nurse teacher, talks about excess death data in Scotland, where excess mortality is now so high across all age groups, the government has launched a formal inquiry to determine what is the cause. Data there show excess deaths are 11% above their five-year average and have remained above average for the past six months. And then there are those healthy athletes around the world that are dropping dead in record numbers. Campbell also reviews the individual case of Rob Wardell, a 37-year-old champion mountain biker who died in his sleep just days after he won the Scottish MTB XC Championship. His partner, Katie Archibald, tweeted this, I still don't understand what's happened. If this is real, why he'd be taken now, so healthy, 
and happy. He went into cardiac arrest while we were lying in bed. I tried and tried, and the paramedics arrived within minutes, but his heart stopped. They couldn't bring him back. Wardell is just one of hundreds of athletes who have suddenly dropped dead worldwide. And there's one common denominator. They all had one or more COVID jabs and or boosters. Between January of 2021, August of this year, that's 19 months, at least 1,249 athletes suffered cardiac arrest or collapse after COVID injection. And at least 847 of those, that's three quarters, died, with more being recorded as reports come in. That number is going to go up. Historically, the annual average of SDS, sudden death syndrome, in athletes has been between 29 and 69. So this is clearly nowhere near normal, regardless of what the fact checkers tell us. Campbell went on to review a paper in the European Journal of Preventive Cardiology. It notes that 80% of athletes who die suddenly have no symptoms of a family history of heart disease. The authors suggest using genetic testing to identify athletes at risk of sudden cardiac death. Still, with the dramatic uptick in athletes suddenly dying, it seems beyond unreasonable to attribute those deaths to undiagnosed pre-existing heart disease. So what about here, on this side of the pond? Excess death trends in the U.S. A National Institutes of Health preprint published mid-May 2022. It reviewed excess all-cause mortality across 3,127 counties in the U.S. between March of 2020 and December of last year, 2021. According to this paper, an estimated 936,911 excess deaths occurred during the two years 2020 and 2021. Of those 936,000 plus, 171,000, that's 18.3%, were not assigned to COVID-19 on death certificates as an underlying cause of death. Think about that now. What would make such a dramatic increase if it wasn't COVID? The proportion of excess deaths assigned to COVID was lower in 2020, 76%, than in 2021, 87%. That suggests a larger fraction of excess deaths was assigned to COVID later in the pandemic. But in rural areas and in the Southeast and Southwest, a large share of excess deaths was still not assigned to COVID during 2021. Excess death rates were highest in Mississippi, 301 deaths per 100,000 residents. Next came Arizona, 246 deaths per 100,000 residents in 2020. And in West Virginia, 298 deaths per 100,000 people, followed by Mississippi, 271 deaths per 100,000 residents in 2021. Again, while a majority of the excess deaths were attributed to COVID, 
which we know simply means they had a positive PCR test at the time of death or within a certain time period of death. Even with that, 171,168 excess deaths were not attributable to COVID. So why did so many people die that shouldn't have? Life insurance data tell an even more horrifying story. In January of 2022, One America, that's a mutual life insurance company that's based in Indianapolis, reported the death rate of working-age Americans, that's ages 18 to 64, in the third quarter of 2021 alone was 40% higher than pre-pandemic levels. And these deaths were not attributed to COVID. They also had an uptick in long-term disability claims. Their CEO, Scott Davidson, said this, We are seeing right now the highest death rates we have seen in the history of life insurance, not just at One America. The data is consistent across every player in that business. And what we saw just in the third quarter, we're seeing a continuum of the fourth quarter, is that death rates are up 40% over what they were pre-pandemic. Just to give you an idea of how bad that is, a three sigma or a one in 200 year catastrophe would be 10% increase over pre-pandemic. So 40%, four times the biggest excess death count ever, 40% is just unheard of. Dr. Robert Malone, one of the inventors of the MR, um, the process of making these drugs, mRNA, Dr. Malone addressed One America's finding in a Substack article, and he said this, At a minimum, based on my reading, one has to conclude that if this report holds and is confirmed by others in the dry world of life insurance actuaries, we have both a huge human tragedy and a profound public policy failure of the United States government and U.S. health and human services system to serve and protect the citizens that pay for this service. If this holds true, then the genetic vaccines so aggressively promoted have failed, and the clear federal campaign to prevent early treatment with life-saving drugs has contributed to a massive avoidable loss of life. At worst, this report implies that the federal workplace vaccine mandates have driven what appears to be a true crime against humanity. Massive loss of life in presumably workers that have been forced to accept a toxic vaccine at higher frequency relative to the general population. I'm going to stop there and let you read the rest of the article for yourself. That's that's probably three quarters of the way through the article. I wanted to share those with you. This is eye-opening, folks. Why did life expectancy for U.S. citizens drop dramatically last year? I keep looking for the death certificates in the United States and in the world. We don't have the actual numbers now. I honestly feel like last year may be the first time in our lifetimes where the population on the globe declined. Don't know that. It's a gut feeling. I am not saying that's the way it is. 
And there are kind of projections out there, but getting real numbers. I mean, come on now. We have 190 plus countries on the planet. Do you think in any realistic way we could expect to ever get accurate numbers from each of those countries? It'll never happen. But if we look at the United States, if we ever get unfiltered numbers from our government, and we probably won't. Why? Because it would make them look bad if there are more people dying than there were people being born. Think about that. That would be a shrinking population number. That's never happened. Never in the history of the United States has that happened. This is, this is not a fable. This is not something out there. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is happening while you're drinking your cup of coffee this morning. Somebody in your world, somebody that doesn't have a clue, woke up this morning They did the same things that you did. You got up, you took a shower, you got dressed, had a cup of coffee, watched the morning news headlines, got in your car, and on the way, had a heart attack. No apparent cause, no cardiological problems in your genetics. You maybe are a runner, very healthy, but you had the COVID jab. You had a heart attack and you died. It's happening everywhere today. Everywhere. Speaking the truth, the left doesn't want you to hear. TNN, the Truth News Network. When it comes to online meetings, you're crushing it. But if you want to crush something that's a little more fun, why not play Best Fiends, the five-star rated puzzle game? Best Fiends is loaded with challenging puzzles that are so much fun, and you're never accidentally on mute. So take a stress break with the cutest characters on the planet and download Best Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Play Best Fiends. Download free. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate. So you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Everybody that knows me knows that I'm a chocoholic. I love me some chocolate. And uh, that stuff that comes out of Pennsylvania, that milk chocolate, to me, that's the best kind. But I got to tell you, I really like plain M&M's, the candy shell. It's okay. But I really like the guts. <laughs> I, love, I love me some chocolate. I don't know where that came from. It's only 10 o'clock in the South. I'm a long way from lunch, and I'm not going to eat dessert until after lunch. Well, maybe today. (laughs) I'm just saying. 1-866-37-TRUTH is our number to call if you want to weigh in anytime. That's 1-866-37-TRUTH. Love to hear from you on any issue. Don't forget to share TNN Live with some of your friends. You know, there are a lot of people out there that are looking for conservative voices, 
they're not liking so much getting the news from the vantage point, even on some of the conservative networks and newspapers that they're seeing and hearing. I hear that more and more. More people are turning to sources like TNN Live and truthnewsnet.org for unfiltered, unbiased, just factual information that has been vetted and it's been found to be accurate. That's the only thing we bring unless we qualify it and we give you a disclaimer saying, hey, look, we've heard about this. We believe it's got some veracity to it. It's so important we wanted to tell you it's out there. We're still investigating, and if and when we find out it's not true, we'll make sure we come back and tell you. Do you hear that kind of stuff coming from any of the other, quote, mainstream media networks in any way? You don't. You don't. And i got to be honest with you, in the history of this show and in the history of our website, truthnewsnet.org, we've had to reverse several times and come back and say, look, we reported this, we vetted it, we had actual evidence, but we found out the evidence was tainted and it was misrepresented to us and we want to make sure we make you understand we were wrong and here is the actual facts. And we won't do it like uh, it happened to a good friend of mine, Andre Crouch, years ago. African-American gospel singer, one of the greatest gospel Christian music songwriters in history, passed away a few years ago. But he was very wealthy. He was from Los Angeles, lived in Los Angeles. Um, Andre always struggled with his weight. He was a little bit short and a little bit chubby. He loved to eat, and that means you're going to put on a pound or two here and there. And so he was always fighting his weight. So he's driving through Beverly Hills, and he's in a convertible. You know what that means, an African-American guy back in the 70s in a convertible driving through Los Angeles, especially Beverly Hills. Oh, it's got to be a drug dealer. Cops pulled him over, and they arrested him. Made front-page news in the Los Angeles Times. Why? Because he was a very famous gospel singer. And they found a mysterious white powder on the floorboard of the passenger side, and they just knew it was cocaine. Andre Crouch arrested for suspicion of cocaine possession. Front page news in the Los Angeles Times. So guess what? A couple of days later, the lab tests come back, and it was a diet powder. It was a powder diet that he mixed with milk to drink to help him lose weight. Los Angeles Times, they carried a retraction. It was back on page number 37, 38, when the the story, the original story that was wrong, was front page news. We don't do that here. That's a long way to tell you when we mess up, we're going to tell you, hey, we messed up and we're sorry and, and here are the facts. So what else is happening? You know that Tucker Carlson, he is a, um, a real exposure of uh, the hardcore lefties. And he doesn't like dealing with those purveyors of falsehoods, especially for political purposes, specific political purposes. And any time he gets to bring somebody on that is like-minded, that's in politics, he likes to do it, especially when there's something really crazy going on there. And I'm talking about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and his challenger in the upcoming gubernatorial race, 
Somebody that's been in politics in Florida for 20, 30 years, Charlie Crist, he used to be a Democrat. Then he was a Republican. Then he was an independent. And now, I don't think anybody's certain exactly where he stands politically, but I think he's registered as a Democrat. Tucker and DeSantis, yesterday, they got into a conversation about Charlie Crist. I'll let their conversation speak for this whole thing. So I want to ask you quickly about your race. We learned the other day on last Tuesday that Charlie Crist, who beat the zany weed lady he was running against, is going to be your opponent. And Crist, a former Republican, came out today with with a message to your supporters, which I want our viewers to see. Here it is. Those who support the governor should stay with him and vote for him, and I don't want your vote. If you have that hate in your heart, keep it there. I want the vote of the people of Florida who care about our state. (laughs) He doesn't want your vote. You're morally beneath him. I've never seen a politician say that. This is his fifth decade running for office. He's a chameleon, typical career politician. But you know, Tucker, people support me because I kept the state open and protected their jobs. Charlie Chris wanted it locked down. So that's not hate in their heart. They're just appreciative that they had a governor who was standing up for them. Parents around the state support me uh, because we made sure schools were open and we're working to make sure they get education, not indoctrination. That's not hate in their heart. They're just appreciative that they have a governor that's fighting for them. It's, a, it's kind of weird to see Charlie Crist look down his nose at voters. Is there anyone in the state who is more morally suspect than Charlie Crist, who's registered to vote that you're aware of? <laughs> I'll tell you what, uh, I would take, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think you can. I think he is not one to be cast in stones. And <laughs> how think? contemptible it is when he says, he claims that he wants to unify Florida. He says he wants a Florida for all. <laughs> And then you (laughs) condemn a majority of the people in the state of Florida. Give me a break. And the thing about what I've done is, you know, we've done issues that people uh, across the spectrum have been able to agree with. And that's really what it's all about. It's not hating the other side. It's trying to have policies that a majority can agree with. If, If you don't support me, you're a hater. If you don't support me, you're a hater. If you supported Donald Trump, that means you're a truth hater. That's the way politics rolls nowadays. And Charlie Crist, he's out there. He's not talking about anything positive. He's just throwing up. It's almost like being a drive-by shooter. He's driving by and throwing bullets or throwing rocks at whatever he's got his hands on against the governor of Florida that has a track record, a pretty good track record in doing things for the people of Florida that the people of Florida kind of like. I mean, in many, many, many ways, Florida set the standard for how to live as a state, how to govern as a governor in a state when things are bad. And it's not from a political vantage point. It's simply from doing what's best for the people of your state and giving the people the right to make their choices instead of Government just saying, this is what you got to do. And oh my, you can't do that. Government is not the end all of everything. It's just not. And yeah, there are lots of governments around the world in countries that that is the standard. And how's that working out for them? 
Let's roll into something we haven't talked about in some time, the John Durham investigation. There was a lot of hope from a lot of people, this guy being one of them, me, when John Durham was allowed to remain in that special investigative status, a special counsel status under the Biden administration's Department of Justice. I was shocked that it happened, but he was allowed to continue on with his investigation into the sources of the Russia collusion hoax. Well, there's some news out. A white paper was obtained by one media outlet that suggests that special counsel John Durham botched the investigation of a second Russia collusion hoax, the one that concerns Yoda cell phones. You heard about that, of course. We talked about it here. In a scandal linked to the Spygate operation, Hillary cronies peddled to the CIA fake evidence that they claimed established that Donald Trump and his associates were using that Russian-made Yoda cell phone in the vicinity of the White House and other key locations. The news of that broke during the special counsel's prosecution of former Clinton campaign attorney Michael Sussman. But the just-obtained Yoda white paper that was supposed to undergird Sussman's claims differs substantially from the memorandum documenting what Sussman supposedly said to the CIA. Now follow me here. Durham's team has known of these discrepancies for years, but has failed to hold responsible those who used the CIA to target a political opponent and the then President of the United States with false smears of corruption with a foreign power, Russia. Now with the news that the special counsel's office has let the grand jury expire, suggesting a winding down of the investigation, Durham's failure to seek any charges related to the Yoda phone hoax is appalling. Durham offered the only apparent opportunity for justice in this entire collection of major scandals. And the Sussman trial unveiled another collusion hoax. A year ago, almost to the day, Durham charged Sussman with one count of lying to then-FBI General Counsel James Baker. According to the indictment, during a September 26th meeting with Baker, Sussman provided the FBI's General Counsel information that supposedly showed the existence of a secret communication channel between the Trump Organization and the Russian Alpha Bank. The indictment charged that Sussman told Baker during that meeting he was not working on behalf of any client when, according to the indictment, Sussman was actually acting on behalf of a U.S. technology industry executive at U.S. Internet Company, later identified as Rodney Jaffe and the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign. So while that jury acquitted Sussman of the charged defense, the prosecution of the former Clinton campaign lawyer revealed several previously unknown details related to the Russia collusion hoax, including Sussman's peddling of a second Trump-Russia connection to the CIA. According to court filings beginning in December of 2016, Sussman sought to score a meeting with the CIA. 
Then in January of 2017, he previewed the information he hoped to hand off to the agency, telling a former CIA employee that he represented a client who had discussed some interesting information about the present and activity of unique Russian-made phones around President Trump. So during that 2017 conversation, according to a memo summarizing the exchange, Sussman said the activity began in April of 2016 when President-elect Trump was working out of the Trump Tower on its Wi-Fi network. After he moved to the White House, the same phone surfaced on the executive office building network. There is a narrative, a web, that Sussman has woved, probably to try to keep himself out of trouble. He also relayed that his client, later identified as Rodney Joffe, claimed the phone at issue was the extremely rare Russian Yoda phone, of which only about a dozen or so were used in the U.S. Joffe also claimed Russian government officials often received Yoda phones as a gift. <laughs> I can imagine why. The memo then summarized most of the specifics that Sussman relayed about the supposed connection between Trump and the Yoda phone. After the cell phone that first surfaced in April of 2016 on Trump Tower's network, that's according to Sussman's briefing, it was also used on the Wi-Fi at Trump's Grand Central Park West apartment. Also, when Trump traveled to Michigan to interview a cabinet secretary, the phone appeared with Trump in Michigan. This is according to Sussman's memo. Then, Sussman claimed that in December of 2016, the phone disappeared from Trump Tower Wi-Fi, surfaced on an EOB network. Added, Sussman did, that the phone was never noticed in two places at once, only around the president's movements. Sussman reportedly also told his contact that from April of 2016 forward, the Yoda phone was used to make several calls to Moscow and St. Petersburg, Russia, and obtain systems upgrades. In a pretrial motion filed in Sussman's criminal case, you may remember this, Durham first revealed Sussman's efforts to peddle that Yoda phone theory to the CIA on behalf of Jaffe, the special counsel further explained the Yodaphone internet data Sussman provided to the CIA came from Joffe and his associates' exploitation of domain name systems, that's DNS, internet traffic, including the executive office of the president. According to Durham's team, Joffe's employer had come to access and maintain dedicated servers for the EOP as part of a sensitive arrangement whereby it provided DNS resolution services to the EOP, that's Executive Office of the President. In Sussman's case, the special counsel stressed it had found no support for his claim to the CIA that the DNS data showed Trump or any of his associates were using Yoda phones. On the contrary, Durham's team explained that the more complete DNS data obtained by Jaffe and his associates reflects that such DNS lookups were far from rare across the United States. Yet Durham did not charge Sussman related to the Yodaphone hoax. Where's all this going, folks? 
John Durham has spent millions of taxpayer dollars. He's messed up on a couple of uh, things, very important things in this case that he was working on by mishandling them, losing time and losing that grand jury. Basically what it boils down to, it looks like absolutely nothing is going to come out of John Durham's investigation of the sources of the Russia collusion hoax. Now think about that. Think about that. We did hear and see so many direct ties back to Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State. Most of it evolved around that secret private server that she maintained in her house, which is against federal law. It also was revealed that the President of the United States, Barack Hussein Obama, actually had a Gmail email address that nobody in his administration knew about. It was not secured. Nobody in security in the government even knew that he had it. And he was communicating to and from Hillary Clinton over that private secret server in Hillary's home that was also unsecure. Now think about the openness of that kind of communication being spread around the world to many of our enemies. In fact, we were told by James Comey when he still had a little bit of credibility left, this is before the 2016 election, we were told then that it was proven that every email that went to or was sent from that server, a copy of it was sent simultaneously to a computer somewhere else in the world. He never said who it went to and where that was. Speculation was that it went to China and nothing happened to anybody in the Hillary campaign. Nothing happened to Hillary Clinton in spite of there being multiple violations of federal laws. Nothing happened there. Why? I got to be honest with you. My opinion it was because she was a Democrat. She was plugged into the top of the justice system, not just the Justice Department, but the justice system. And we all now know, looking back over our shoulder, the entire United States intelligence community, justice system, all of it is built on bureaucratic politicians and they have power that they will maintain and even grow. And they do it at the expense of the truth. They do it at the expense of the rule of law, the U.S. Constitution, oh, oh, by the way, the American citizenry. Think about that. You know, there's a lot of um, lawlessness going on around the nation. We hear about a little of it. And these big pockets in these big cities, these big Democrat-run cities, there's, there's more than in, you know, more rural counties, parishes, states around the nation, but there's a lot everywhere, far more than we had before. And law enforcement almost totally in these big cities can't handle the crime. So a community group in New York City's Greenwich Village, they've decided to take law enforcement in their own hands. They've contracted armed guards to combat crime like drug activity, public defecation, in Greenwich Village. 
The West 4th Max slash 6 Block Association recruited officers from Black Tie Protection Services to patrol West 4th Street between McDougal and 6th Avenue in August. And I know right where that is. Resident Brian Maloney told the outlet it was the only answer to the problem. We have residents saying, we're a liberal city. The village is a very liberal area. Well, I've lost my liberalness on this. It baffles me, he said. The security certainly gave me peace of mind. Video footage showed people loitering on this side of the street, and the owner of Washington Square Diner told Fox News it was the worst it's been in 21 years when it comes to crime. According to Maloney, the firm received 18000 for the month, one month, and it remained to be seen if the Block Association would extend that guard's contract. He added it was difficult to pay while taxes and costs at the grocery store remained so high. Another neighbor said she had never seen things so bad. She said, I lived through the 70s and 80s when people said things were really rough. I was never afraid then. I am now. It all comes from the top. And Manhattan District Attorney Bragg has not helped any of us. Back in August, former Representative Lee Zeldin of New York, he's the Republican gubernatorial nominee in the state, he said he would fire the George Soros-funded Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg the day he took office. Bragg's soft-on-crime approach recently resulted in a 15-year-old girl being sexually assaulted by a suspect Suspect Bragg's office released back into the streets. No bail. Adding, Zeldin previously argued it was a governor's constitutional responsibility to fire district attorneys who do not enforce the law. You got to understand this, Representative Zeldin. It's obvious not everybody in law enforcement, not everybody in politics, believes in enforcing the rule of law. They don't believe in the laws that are out there, and they don't believe many people should be held accountable for the laws that they break. And leadership in New York City, they're doing squat about it. Let's shift gears. You know that a lot of people or bailing on California. They can't afford it. They can't afford the crime that's there. They can't afford the politics that change on a dime. And the government there, they just do what they feel like they need to do on any given day, say anything, do anything to the people. And people are bailing in the hundreds of thousands. In fact, you can't even get a U-Haul truck in California to leave California. And if you can find one, it costs a fortune. But if you're somewhere else here in the nation and you want to rent a U-Haul truck to go to California, they'll almost give it to you. So what do those people think that are bailing on California and they're going to some of these states where, first of all, there's no income tax, places like Tennessee, Florida, Texas, and then there's very little crime and the context of comparison to California, and that the politicians in these states, these southern, these conservative, Republican-governed states, 
They're just all about the people's business. So what happens to these Californians? Remember the the environment in which they find themselves, they've been living in. I mean, top-down, heavy-handed government. Crime everywhere. You can't trust anybody. Here's an example of a mixed-race couple that just happened to just move in the day before in a nice house in a nice neighborhood in Texas, and a Texan from across the street comes over to introduce himself and welcome them to his neighborhood. With you. I like all pronouns. My favorite is you. Oh. Honey, someone's coming to the house. Someone's coming to the house. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Who are you call the pops? I'm gonna call the pops. Uh, we're recording you. No, 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 no. It's okay. I, I, I'm just your neighbor. Coming by to say howdy. Oh. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, we're not used to people stopping by to say howdy without assaulting us first, robbing us, or defecating on our lawn. Sometimes all three. <laughs> the trifecta. We're from Los Angeles. Just moved to Texas. I figured. Oh, the California plates? Well, yeah, the masks. Inside your own house, no one else around. 2022. <laughs> We just want to be extra safe. We feel naked without masks. We'll probably wear them for the rest of our lives. We'll be buried in them. Okay. Well, you seem like a lovely couple. Like I said, I just wanted to drop by and welcome you to the neighborhood. Why? Do you want something? Oh, no, 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 no. They're, uh, I think he's being friendly. People around here are friendly, like we've seen in the movies, right? I thought that was just make-believe, like superheroes or families that go to church. No, 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 that's a myth. This is real life. So, uh, I live in that house over yonder. Name's Kevin. Hi, Kevin. I'm Tiffany. she, her. And I'm Steve, he, him. What are your pronouns? I don't believe in pronouns. I think they're reductive. In fact, just you're asking about it is a microaggression. Oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I, I didn't mean to. No, it's okay. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I like all pronouns. My favorite is you. <laughs> yeah. I don't get it. Exactly. So, if you need anything, just holler. My wife and I'd be happy to help. Baby, he has a gun. Oh, I'm calling the cops. I'm recording you. No, no, no. no. Recording it's you. okay. It's okay. It's just my sidearm. Everybody here has a gun. Sorry. We don't really like guns. There's a lot of crime where we're from. I understand. There's not a lot of crime here. Why? Because everybody here has a gun. I don't get it. It doesn't add up at all. You'll get used to it. But what if I don't want to get used to it? Guns? People walking up to your driveway without masks and, and without pronouns? I, I don't think I can live like this. Well, if it makes you feel more at home, we just recently replaced a lot of our electrical grid with unreliable wind power. Baby. It helps. But honestly, I just don't think I can do this. Where's the police sirens? Where's the helicopters overhead? Where's the needles in the street? I just can't live like this. It's so hot. And the bugs are so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, that may sound a little bit extreme. And yeah, it's comedy. It's uh, it's obviously a parody that was put together. But I got to be honest with you folks, it pretty much fits what a lot of people that are fleeing California and even other liberal states like New York State, they're looking for places where they can go be free. They can go live where government is not egregious, locked down, bossy, controlling everything in their lives and just changing every day just because they can. Places where government is government of the people, government by the people, and government for the people. That was just one example, California to Texas. What do you think it's like when they move from New York State down to Florida or Tennessee? Where government is good, taxes are low. In fact, a lot of places that don't even have personal income taxes. What a novel idea. You know, places where government works for the people and not the people, the citizenry, the ones that pay the bills working for the government. What a novel idea. Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque. And experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. In every age, a technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. Drinking water is essential to your health. That's why you need to drink plenty of water to keep you hydrated throughout the day. Unlike power drinks or soft drinks, water is truly the only drink that can quench your thirst. It's an easy, refreshing way to keep your body healthy and strong. Freshen up today with a brisk, cool bottle of water. Election cycles come and go. White House reporters come and go. The truth is a diamond because it's forever. TNN, the Truth News Network. Your jeweler today is Dan Newman. We're kind of handling this together, wouldn't you say? I mean, yeah. There are people that are like that in the world, people that are that jaded, and I would think somebody that lived in whatever part of California that couple may have come from and the environment that the evidence that they were involved in, it'd be a 
breath of fresh air to go to a place like Texas. I got to be honest with you, Texas is a good state. Where I sit right now in our studio, we're about 15 miles, maybe 20, from the Louisiana-Texas border. I was born in Texas. My extended family, cousins and aunts and uncles, all live in the greater Houston area. My family immigrated to South Louisiana when I was four, been in Louisiana pretty much ever since. And I love Louisiana, but I love Texas too. And in many ways, people think Louisiana and Texas are a lot alike, but in many ways, we're different, way, way, way different. And when it comes to economic structure for the citizenry, Texas has got a big leg up on Louisiana, I promise you. Just coming off that uh, parody about moving from California to Texas, let me tell you something that's happening right now today in California, and it'll make you SMH, shake your head. They claim to be defending democracy, but not one of the Democrat Party candidates for statewide office in California. Now think about how big California is, how big their government is, and how many people run for and are elected to serve in various state offices. This midterm cycle, not a single Democrat Party candidate for statewide office has agreed to debate his or her opponent rejecting what many voters see as a key part of the democratic process. Not one. And so here's what Cal matters. Here's how they said it. As election day approaches, you're likely to spot Governor Newsom popping up in plenty of television ads. You'll see state controller candidate Malia Cohen on her various social media feeds. Attorney General Rob Bonta will be busy attending plenty of press conferences. But what are the odds that voters will catch any of these Democrats at a televised political debate? Don't bet on it. Not a single one. That's over the strenuous objections of their three Republican opponents and the state GOP. For weeks, controller candidate Lun Hee Chin has been calling on Cohen, sometimes accompanied by a dancing chicken, to meet him on the debate stage. On Tuesday of this week, two other GOP candidates for statewide offices joined in the call. State Senator Brian Dahl, who is running a long-shot campaign to unseat Gavin Newsom, cheered on Fox 11 anchor Elix Michelson after the reporter offered to moderate a gubernatorial debate. Two hours later, Attorney General candidate Nathan Hockman challenged Bonta to not one, but three debates at a minimum. Democrats have rejected every one of these requests for debates. And that comes even though media outlets have been interested in hosting them. Certainly they do. Breitbart News has even responded favorably to a general call from Hockman's campaign to media outlets to host debates. And nobody's taken the, the offer. The refusal to debate is unprecedented. In 2014, looking back, Governor Jerry Brown, a Democrat, he was the incumbent. He agreed to debate his opponent, Republican Neil Kashkari, despite the fact that Brown led widely in the polls. Brown was widely considered to have lost that debate, largely for lack of practice against political opposition in a state where his party dominates and the media largely play along. 
He went on to win re-election by a wide margin anyway, but at least he had faced his opponent. I just can't see a scenario in which it's okay for any political person, somebody running for any office, I don't care how lowly or how high, the people, the voters in whatever district, town, city, or even state regarding a U.S. Senate race, which we'll talk about one in just a second, voters are obligated. They are owed the ability to listen to and see all the candidates face off each other against each other and talk about their differences and what their plans are if they get elected to do for the citizenry that will elect them. Look what's happening up in Pennsylvania. You have that open Senate seat, Dr. Oz, and uh, is it is it uh, Attorney General? No, it's Lieutenant Governor of Pennsylvania, John Fetterman. He's Lieutenant Governor. He didn't want to debate Dr. Oz. Now, understand this. He had a recent stroke, and he is a little bit slow in response, verbalization in some areas. I don't know much about the stroke. I don't know a whole lot about Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman other than he is a massive human being and he wears, he he's bald, he shaves his head and he has a goatee and he's just a big guy, but he doesn't want to debate Dr. Oz. Fetterman spoke to a crowd of about 3,000 Pennsylvanias at an abortion rally Now think about what I just told you. He's not going to debate, but he spoke to that crowd of over 3,000 even as the Senate candidate still hasn't finalized a debate schedule against Republican Mehmet Oz due to what Fetterman calls auditory processing issues. Planned Parenthood held a Women for Fetterman rally in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania Sunday in an attempt to influence more pro-choice women voters to support him in the midterms. Fetterman recently agreed to one mid to late October debate against Dr. Oz. The Democrat previously had been hesitant to confirm a debate at all as he recovers from lasting auditory effects from a stroke he had back in May. If a debate does take place in October, it would be after the beginning of early voting, leaving a bunch of Pennsylvanians to cast their ballots without hearing the candidates square off against each other. That's sad. With no set time or location for the debate confirmed, Oz is continuing his push for a September face-off prior to the beginning of early voting, claiming that Fetterman is dodging debates on purpose. I wonder, I just wonder if this is a... uh, kind of a thing that uh, is going to become regular practice, maybe especially among Democrats. They don't want to debate their opponents publicly. That's interesting. It's a political ploy. You can't put any other kind of label on it. They'll watch and see how it works this go-round. And we'll see. Meanwhile, let's go back out west. Show me the money. California is going to begin sending inflation relief checks to residents next month, right 
before Election Day. Interesting. Voters are mailing in their ballots thanks to a plan launched by Governor Gavin Newsom and agreed to earlier this year by the state's Democrats. Newsom's plan began as a proposed rebate to help residents afford the high cost of gasoline, which is much more expensive in California than in any other state, thanks to taxes and regulations, which, by the way, were never reformed. Ultimately, the Democrat-dominated state legislature, which has refused to delay a rise in the gas tax, agreed to the inflation relief checks. Coincidentally, they're going to begin arriving as Newsom, who is up for re-election, will face the voters' verdict. SFGate.com explained the schedule for rolling out the money to middle- and low-income Californians. Here's what it said. To receive these benefits, which were approved as part of a 2022 and 2023 state budget surplus, individuals must have completed a 2020 California tax return and make no more than $250,000 individually or $500,000 if filing jointly. All numbers listed must reflect filer income in the 2020-2021 tax year. Refunds will be sent starting in October will run through January of 2023. In total, the state will send out an estimated $9.5 billion to Californians. The state of California has an estimator available for individuals looking to confirm their refund. Ironically, some economists have said that Newsom's plan will not reduce inflation, but could actually increase it by pumping more money into the economy at a time when the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates to bring down the high inflation rate. And this is not the first time Newsom has distributed money to large portions of the electorate when he has faced a tough electoral fight. In 2021, facing a recall election, Newsom gave rebates to roughly two-thirds of the households in the state of California. Now, he's considered Newsom to have an easy and be an easy favorite to win re-election. He's also trying to help Democrats win congressional races around the state, many of which could be close this year, as the district boundaries were recently redrawn and control of Congress is in doubt. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who was also up for re-election, also distributed similar checks to many families in his state to help them deal with inflation. But the money was sent in July and August before the school year as it was theoretically aimed to help parents cope with the rising cost of school supplies. Only parents or guardians were eligible for the money in Florida. Buying votes. I don't care who's doing it. When you do it right before an election, when you launch investigations right before an election, like the Merrick Garland Department of Justice did with that surprise raid on President Trump's residence at Mar-a-Lago. You're never supposed to. The Department of Justice, the FBI, the CIA, you're never supposed to go public with any political thing, action, immediately before any election cycle. It's just an unwritten rule that everybody is abided by because you think you don't want to impact the voting election results based upon 
not guilty. Nothing has been proven yet. Actually, no charges made in any way. But the perception that's painted by the DOJ doing it is there must be some criminality among the Trump folks. Kind of like the Russia collusion investigation. Robert Mueller, two and a half, three years. You remember that? How can we forget? And at the end of it all, there was no there there. But boy, did they ever make some brownie point scores against President Donald Trump. They just simply hate Trump. And of course, now they go right down the stream behind the former president, anybody that voted for him, anybody that wants him back, anybody that thinks that there were election irregularities in the 2020 election, you're all evil MAGA people, and you are worse than the 9-11 terrorist. And there's another Democrat in the swing of things up in Ohio, Tim Ryan, a member of the House of Representatives representing his district in Ohio. He's running for a congressional Senate seat in Washington. And he stepped on his own tongue yesterday. He issued a bizarre defense of his kill and confront comment about the MAGA movement by claiming He was referencing January 6th. Earlier this week, on Monday, in an interview on MSNBC, Tim Ryan said Democrats need to kill and confront the extremist Republican movement when discussing why Ohio should elect him over J.D. Vance, the Republican running against him for that U.S. Senate seat. How do we fix all of these broken systems? Some of those answers will come from Republicans, not the extremists that we're dealing with every single day. We've got to kill and confront that movement. But working with normal mainstream Republicans, that's going to be really, really important, he said. I'm saying exhausted majority, Democrats, Republicans, independents against the extremists, leading an era of reform around reconciliation, so we can heal this country and move into the future. Of course, Republicans immediately hit back. They called them divisive, potentially violent. This is a guy who, when he runs his scripted TV commercials, says that he wants to appeal to Trump voters. He wants to appeal to the entire state of Ohio. And yet, when he's unscripted, he's saying that we need to confront and kill the entire movement. That came from Ryan's Republican opponent, J.D. Vance. A majority of the people of Ohio, of course, voted for that movement, the MAGA movement, in 2016 and 2020. Yesterday, after maintaining so just quiet, total silence, issuing no comment about what he said, Tim Ryan claimed in a tweet that his rhetoric was in defense of the Capitol Police on January 6th even though his comments had nothing to do with January 6th. Here's what he tweeted. Last night, Sean Hannity and J.D. Vance attacked me for defending the brave officers who protected our nation on January 6th. I will never apologize for that. Republicans are trying to twist this race into a bogus culture war. Grow up, he tweeted. And then yesterday, Senator Mazie Hirono, 
who's a Democrat from Hawaii, followed Tim Ryan's rhetoric when she issued a call to arms on the Senate floor while debating a national abortion ban. When I hear my colleagues talking about how, you know, it should be state rights or government should not be telling us what to do, the word hypocrites, it doesn't even go far enough to call them out when they're doing it, said Hirona. This is an outright attack on women in this country. This is how I see it. That is how more and more women and those who support our right to make decisions about our own bodies, that is how we see it. Why? Because that's what's happening. Harona concluded her speech by saying the proposed abortion ban after 15 weeks is literally a call to arms in our country. I have no idea what the uproar, the hoo-ha is about that. I understand they want abortion at will, and it doesn't matter when. The baby can be born laying in swaddling clothes in a mother's arm, and the mother says, here, I don't want this one. They think that mom should have the unfettered right to abort that baby. Literally, folks, a baby born. They think killing it, which is infanticide, which is illegal, they think that is what our law needs to allow them to do. You may not remember this, but we have a very hot U.S. Senate election going on in Georgia. Also at the same time in Georgia, a big contentious gubernatorial race. Democrat Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams said yesterday she was on The View. She said she never denied losing her 2018 attempt to beat Governor Brian Kemp. On The View co-host Sonny Hostin said, so this is your second run against incumbent Brian Kemp for governor. Polls show it a tight race, especially the poll this morning. Now, when you lost in 2018, you didn't traditionally concede, which I appreciated because you cited voter suppression. Are you confident that this will be a free and fair election and not a repeat performance of what happened before? Abrams answered Hostin, so I appreciate the question and the framing. I have never denied that I lost, which is a lie. That's Dan saying that. I've heard her say it again and again and again. She has never admitted that she got beat. Never. She said this, I don't live in the governor's mansion. I would have noticed. And there is this clip that's going around and it shows me saying that we won. And what I was referring to was what we won in terms of communities that were long left out of the electoral process, finally participating in 2018 and outstanding numbers. And she added, but I'm not delusional, just so that's clear. But what we know was that the issues that we raised in 2018, the fact that 214 precincts were shut down, that 53,000 people had their voter registrations held hostage, that 1.4 million people were purged, including half a million people who simply had chosen not to vote, that we were able to tackle that because we raised the issues, because I refuse to say that That was a good thing. We saw as a response the state legislature the following year in response to lawsuits that I filed and others starting to fix the problems. Co-host Alyssa Farah Griffin said this, May I just say thank you for just admitting outright you didn't win? That's such a rare thing. 
Abram said, I did it on the day I didn't win, which is a lie. She continued, I'm not the governor, said that. The other is the election wasn't fair to voters, also said that. In this country, we have the responsibility to challenge broken systems. And Abrams added this, I don't say things without evidence, and that I think is the distinction that is being lost in this attempt to conflate who I am and what I have done for the last four years with others. Well, what she did, of course, she lied. I mean, she lied out the wazoo. I could play soundbite after soundbite where she denied that she lost that governor's race against Kearns. I mean, she said it again and again and again. She did not lose. The election was stolen. All that being said, she harped on for two years massive voter suppression by whites and Republicans across Georgia. African-American people weren't getting the chance to vote. And then in the last election in 2020, a record number of not just minority Georgians, but across the spectrum, a record number of voters were able to cast their votes. In the wake of what Stacey Abrams, she demanded for months and months and months, the Georgia state legislature passed voter suppression laws to stop the vote of minorities, to stop minority people from being able to cast their vote legally. And the exact opposite was true. If you notice, she quit talking about that. I wonder why. (laughs) We know why, don't we? Hey, listen, folks. That's going to wrap up our midweek show. Oh, my gosh. The 15th of September. Actually, it's not the midweek show. It's the Thursday show. Isn't it? Yeah, today's the 15th. Hey, That means we'll be back tomorrow. We'll be looking at a weekend. Football again. High school football. College football. NFL football. But we'll see you tomorrow right here. Goodbye.